0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: Anthony Heron on 670 The Score.
3: City. for the better part of the next three hours i am your voice this is anthony heron on chicago sports radio 670 the score first sunday morning i've done in a minute looking forward to this getting the, the am crowd rolling and uh you know sundays obviously feel a little bit different for many of us so i will uh i, I took it a little bit easy during the intro i'll, I'll kind sort of i'll ramp things up throughout the show a little bit. I know many of you might just be rubbing that crust out of your eyes a little bit after either a late Saturday or or just a lazy Sunday, starting your day out. That is all good on my account. No issues with any of that. And we will bring all the, uh, the, the Chicago sports commentary to you that your little hearts can desire over the next few hours here. Broadcasting live from the Score Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers, the Tech Zone feel free to shoot me a text 312-644-6767 text zone brought to you by rosen hyundai of algonquin save time shop online at rosenhunday.com. that is also the same number you can use for the listener line the score listener line is powered by betql bet smarter and beat the books download the betql app today or visit BetQLapp.com. we will have guests for you throughout the show today you will hear plenty From me, you will hear plenty from others. We'll have some experts throughout the show, too. Guests join us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And uh, we'll see. Maybe there'll be some breaking news. If there is, we will definitely bring that to you. A lot of folks are waiting, wanting, wondering what's going to happen in the Major League Baseball world, so we will talk about that throughout the show as well. If there is some breaking news on the score, that's brought to you by DuckDuckGo. Protect your privacy online for free with DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo, privacy simplified. So I'm uh, I'm feeling a, a little bit spry this this morning because I at least had a well, I, I don't know if a new experience is the the most accurate way to describe it, but at least we we got away for a few days here. And it actually, the the way I I posted about it kind of briefly on social. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Big Ant Heron. But I did. I put some older pictures out there a couple of days ago, but was just describing, like, hey, you know, we got away for a quick ski weekend. But I, I suppose I probably could have explained it in, in more detail if I really felt like writing out a really long tweet or or message about it on IG or or Facebook or something like that. But we did take a, a little ski trip, but the pictures I posted were from many moons ago when we had taken a – this was, you know, pre – Pre uh, pre four year old, where my wife and I went out to Breckenridge, Colorado, and my wife grew up skiing. Like she, you know knows knows how to how to ski, how to snowboard really effectively. I don't. I, I have snowboarded a few times in my life, um, kind of with every knee surgery. The the additional snowboarding, I was I was willing to risk kind of the, the chances of that diminished, and certainly skiing. I just, you know, it, it wouldn't take a whole lot, especially with my left knee, it wouldn't take a whole lot to just kind of, you know, really uh, jack up anything that that I'm trying to do as far as just being able to walk around and, and not, not look really deformed while I do it. Got some other surgeries waiting on me. So I did uh, the last time we went out to Colorado a few years ago for a ski trip uh, just me and my wife. We met up with some friends out there too. I didn't do any skiing or snowboarding. Unfortunately, the the buddy I met up with, he's got awful knees too. So my wife and his wife, they did skiing and snowboarding and, and whatever uh, they wanted to do. He and I just walked around Breckenridge, Colorado, hit different bars and, and pubs, and and had a had a jolly old time doing that. Uh, but I also I did go snowmobiling one day, which was just a spectacular experience really in a couple of different ways so i've been on you know like like motorized vehicles in the snow before I've, I've done a you know what i don't know if an atv is the same thing as a as a four-wheeler i'm sure some of you listening to my voice right now know the difference maybe they're the same thing maybe it just depends on on what terrain you're rolling on so i've done those before i've done them in you know kind of dry conditions and i've done them through the snow also uh but the actual the snowmobile where you got Basically, like you know, wheels at the bottom of the vehicle, but you also have essentially like giant skis on each side of it too, and you're just you're just floating through the snow. So that was a that was a grand time. I I would do that again and again, and then also because you know my – my wife has been a passenger at different points, whether we've done, like, jet skiing or, or some of these ATV-type things. And when you got a passenger on there, you got some additional responsibility. Like, it's not the same as driving with a car seat in the car, but, you know, it, it kind of feels like that a little bit. Like, hey, if I take a too sharp of a turn and, I, you know, my wife gets thrown off of this thing, that's a problem. You know, I don't, I don't want her, you know, flying through the air as I make a tight turn and go slinging her somewhere. But when I went snowmobiling, it was, it was just solo. So I could go as wild and as crazy as I wanted and you know, I certainly wasn't trying to turn the thing over, but I, I could get a little bit more hairy with things uh when doing that than if I have a passenger on there with me. Certainly and especially if that passenger is my spouse. So I'm sure some of you can relate to that. So when I did the snowmobiling thing years ago, that was that was oodles and oodles of fun. The other day, the last couple of days, we just got back home uh yesterday evening. We we just drove a, a few hours away and we enjoyed it. It was the first time that our son, our four-year-old, had, had ever skied before. So we got some nice pictures, got some good video of him out there. Wife took him up and down the hill like the bunny hill a few times, and we got him a little private lesson, and he, he really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, like basically he fell kind of the first time he went down the hill. And other night, he really didn't fall anymore. And what seems odd to me, and I don't know if it's a, you know, a concern for just you know, tiny people wielding weapons that they can swing and injure people or what. But it would seem to me that since your coordination and your balance isn't as good yet when you're when you're that young, that having the poles in each hand would be useful or helpful. But you know, for people of, of his age, they really, they didn't have any of the little kids who were out there doing it. They didn't give them poles, which I, I found a, just a little bit odd. Um, but he, he handled it well. He He really had a... A good time doing it and i'm glad that he did i'm glad that we went and uh it was, it was nice to, to kind of get away for a couple of days we're going to get away a little bit more here and there in the months to come we're kind of just figuring out a few things and, and sort of plotting and planning how we're going to make that happen just in the midst of my work schedule so that was my my weekend in the mountains you know we we were calling it the mountains the, the place that we went to had mountain in the name but it's you know it was in state it was, it was right here in the midwest so we didn't uh You know, mountains is a relative term, I suppose. Maybe big hills. Uh, The hills really weren't necessarily even that big. So it's probably a little more accurate to call them large hills than mountains. But either way, it was a good time. Fun time had by all. Uh, Cesar Perez on the ones and twos for me this morning, as I'm describing what my last couple of days had been like here, Cesar. It does does call into question whether or not you have ever hit the slopes before. You got any any experience on, on skis or snowboards or anything?
4: I have not been skiing yet. It's something I, I do want to do, but I have not been on a, a true mountain. I, I would say uh, to do actual skiing. I you know uh, when we had that big snow a couple of weeks ago, I was able to get my uh, boys out sledding, and okay. my I have a six year old and and a four year old myself, and my my older one uh, seen a snowboarder, and he just fell in love with the snowboard, and that's uh, all yeah. he could concentrate on, and <laughs> that's all he's been asking for since in the in the weeks since. Uh, He's he just wants to snowboard so bad now because he's seeing the guy sliding down, you know. Uh, But I have not been on actual skis. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, you talk about the poles in your hands. I I have never held those, and I have (laughs) never done it, so I I, I would have no idea. I'd probably be just as bad as your as your child, probably.
3: And the the issue I ended up having because I've never never skied per se, but I've done the snowboard several times, and then the snowmobiling. And the issue I had on the on the snowboard every time I've done it. And I would imagine that just mass is is a part of that. That I I didn't really know what I was doing anyway. And the one thing, one way I kind of describe it to people is if you've if you've skated before, if you've skateboarded, then you at least have some sense, obviously, for for what the body control needs to be like and those types of things. And like I mentioned to to Parkins the other day, um, I, I have surfed a couple of times also. So I mean, to get up on two feet, body facing sideways, you kind of at least have the 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 vibe for for how your body feels and balancing in that position much more difficult at least my experience was far more difficult to control speed on a uh, you know when you're actually trying to snowboard versus being on on a skateboard or being on a on a surfboard and so just at my size once I get going down the hill staying up wasn't much of a problem but I I couldn't really turn and I couldn't really stop. And both of those are big problems, because especially as, you know, whatever I was back then, like a 280, 290 pound missile just coming down a mountain. And this is, you know, we're out in a couple of distant uh different places trying this thing. It's in bigger mountains. And putting myself in danger, putting others in danger was a, a pretty big issue doing those things. Uh, so, I mean, grand time, good old time that was had. But probably the last time I'm going to do any of those types of adventures, I think I'm I'm at a point in my life now where a lot of it is likely going to be contained to watching others, you know, especially those who I care about participating in those things, and then uh, maybe having a beverage or two. But snowmobiling, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. You know, got to know the know the terrain and everything, but that that is actually a, a legitimately good time. I recommend it to anyone out there who is into having fun in the snow. Make snow angels, a little sledding here and there, like Caesar's talking about. And then on occasion, ride that snowmobile. But if you got any joint issues like me, I don't know. The whole being on the skis thing can be a, a little bit hairy is, is what my concern is there. But huge show for you today between now and I'm taking you all the way up till noon on the score. You're going to have Casey Johnson on with me in just a bit. to we'll talk about that Bulls game from last night. Uh, Casey, of course, of NBC Sports Chicago, the Bulls Talk podcast. Also, my guy, Mike Farron will be on with me a little later in the show. Also, I mentioned, you know, we'll see. Fingers crossed as the the lockout deadline is approaching tomorrow. There's going to be, I believe today is the seventh consecutive day of negotiations that will be taking place between Major League Baseball and the MLBPA. So we'll see what news develops there. See some folks out there, of course, and continuing to tweet about it. Uh, like a boss man just sent us a, a little tweet from John Heyman, uh, contradictory to all the negativity and upset surrounding the MLB and players talks. One person involved said he believes the sides are now quote within striking distance unquote, and a deal could be done tomorrow night. So potentially good news, uh, you know, I'm not going to still be on the air here tomorrow night, but we'll keep you updated. And that's what Mike Fair is going to be joining me a little later in the show to get the latest on what's happening there with the MLB and MLBPA lockout. Of course, the Winter Olympics just ended. Uh, as you can tell from the way I've described things early in the show here, uh, I have not and will not be participating in any of the Winter Olympics as a competitor. But Lewis Johnson, my guy from NBC, he'll be with me later on in the show. Just so let give a little wrap-up on what's happened. I mean, there's not, a, not an Olympic Games that has been televised in recent memory that Lewis Johnson hasn't been on the coverage for. And obviously this past Winter Games that just ended was a really, really, unique experience for the announcers for the athletes for the viewers we know ratings were down and all those types of things so it was a it was a a situation that a lot of folks were just really trying to figure out how best to navigate all of and i just found it to be a really interesting and and intriguing uh, topic so i wanted to get lewis on to to just sort of wrap things up from his perspective he was one of the few individuals who was actually over there in beijing in person Um, you know a lot of the announcers were were announcing their events from home, from Stamford, Connecticut, at the NBC Sports Studios. Lewis was there in person, as were a few other reporters, and, and some of the announcers. But for the most part, most of the people you heard on the air were not actually seen on the air because they were not there in person. You saw even, I'm sure, uh, for those of you who are watching some of the Olympics coverage, Mike Tirico was there in Beijing a little bit, or Maria Taylor was there in Beijing a little bit, but then also... Uh, you know, in other spots in Stanford and in L.A. leading into the Super Bowl, after the Super Bowl, all those types of things. So we'll have uh, Lewis on later in the show to get into some of that. But we'll have plenty of you on the show as well. 312-644-6767 is how you can call and text. And huge, huge Bulls game last night. They had the winning streak going into it, and it was uh, it, it was a game that looked like it was getting out of hand for a little while, and then things kind of started to to rain in and get under control, and then in, in the end, the Bulls weren't able to, to quite make it happen against Memphis, but they've been one of the best home teams in the, really the, as, as far as the Eastern Conference goes, best home team in the East for the bulk of the season, and so they kind of made a, a furious comeback after a big third quarter for Memphis. Furious comeback in the fourth, but while they stayed in striking distance in the fourth quarter, Memphis was able to close out the Bulls. So we'll get into that. Uh, let's take my first time out. We'll come back, get into some details on what happened with that Bulls game, react to it. I'll give you my thoughts specifically on what this exactly means, the the perspective of, of where the Bulls sit at the moment, some of, the, some of the, the support, if you will, that's on the way here for this roster. But – it's so key. I mean, because that, the, these reinforcements are, are still weeks away from returning, and we don't know exactly what they're going to look like when they get there. So the Bulls are in such a key stretch of their schedule right now coming out of this All-Star break. So you'll hear from... Some of the competitors that were there on the court last night at the UC. I'll give you my thoughts on what happened between the Bulls and the Memphis Grizzlies. We'll do that next year. I'm Anthony Heron on Twitter and Instagram at Big BigAnHeron. Bulls talk on the way on the score.
2: Dosumu in front of us near Hashmark. Sideline left with Kyle Anderson on the ball. Anderson defending the boots, top side open three air. And that's going to do it. Zaire Williams catches the ball. Dribbles it out. And the ball game is over. Memphis 116. Bulls 110.
3: That's how it sounded here on the score last night. Chuck Swirsky on the call, a game that Memphis controlled much of the action. First quarter, big advantage Grizz. Third quarter, big advantage Grizz. Second quarter, very competitive. Fourth quarter, advantage Bulls, but it wasn't quite enough. You heard Chuck Swirsky mention it right there. 116-110 to final score, Memphis down Chicago last night. But the fourth quarter was certainly fun. United Center came alive. So we'll get into that in detail here. But I do want to go out to the hotline because I was talking a lot uh, just to kind of start the show about the little family trip I just came off of. And, you know, I, I guess we'll, we'll call it a ski weekend, even though I didn't do any skiing myself. But it was a, a good time certainly had by me the wife the four-year-old we went out there and and did our thing my thing was more about like being a, a motivational coach uh, slash photographer slash uh, boot remover and uh, and heavy stuff carrier because uh, we tend to pack big when we do stuff uh, in my family but there, there was still a lot of fun being had there the score listener line powered by betql bet smarter and beat the books download the betql app today or visit BetQL.com. we got Michael out on the hotline who says he's actually a ski instructor out in Lake Somerset. What's happening, Michael?
5: How's it going, man?
3: Not too bad. How you doing?
5: Good, good. So uh, I actually uh, instruct ski, snowboard at Tyrell Basin in Mount Horbert, Wisconsin, and Devil's Head Resort in Merrimack, Wisconsin. Uh, any questions you got for me? I'm here, man.
3: Oh, okay. Uh, well, all right. I, I guess. I guess I wouldn't expect in college to call in asking for questions. I guess one thing then uh, before we, we kind of move on, I'm wondering because my experience has only been on a snowboard. Now, my concern, because I've had surgery on both knees and my left knee is, is extremely brittle. It's basically held together by super glue and popsicle sticks at this point. So my concern is the ski, if you've got separate skis, each foot, then it really only takes just a light flutter of the ski that would be on one individual foot and i'm in jeopardy with the knee uh but as far as the snowboard at least i've always had where both feet are connected to the same board so my lower body feels like it's probably in less peril on a snowboard versus a ski where i'm controlling two different things at once does that sound fairly accurate
5: yeah i mean typically lessons are great if you get lessons you're pretty safe on Skis and snowboard, but skiing's definitely easier to learn. I, I'd say you're probably safer on skis, honestly. They're made to pop really? off. Um, and it's just way easier to learn to ski. Like most people, first lesson, they're going to be able to do turns and control their speed. Uh, snowboard, you're looking at a lot more falling, three or four lessons on average, to be able to do turns. I mean, and as you get older, it gets harder, right?
3: Yeah, the the falling part definitely got harder as I got older. There's no doubt about that, Michael. But I appreciate you calling in, man. That's good stuff and good intel. I guess I wouldn't have anticipated that as the answer. I appreciate you calling.
5: Yeah, I would say definitely if you're interested in trying something, try the skiing and uh, try to do lessons. Definitely do lessons. The, the, like in my lessons, I'm big on safety. So if you ever want to check out Devil's Head Resort, your boy's got my number that I left with you, send me a text. I'll try to hook you up somehow.
3: All right. I don't know if we have any ski resort sponsors on the show, but I, I'm assuming we do. not Maybe we'll see what what happens with Devil's Head there. But I appreciate the call from Michael. See, part of my thing is I, I I do I legitimately enjoy learning new things. Still, at this point in my life, there's the balance that I have to strike with the the potential amount of physical peril that's there because I have had so many surgeries in the past. Like I've had both knees operated on. Uh, the left knee multiple times. I've had a uh, you know, my, my right foot operated on. I've had my back operated on. I've had my shoulder operated on. So I've been cut on a lot. You know, both hands have been operated on the left hand several times. So yeah, I've been under the under the knife frequently. And I'm at a point in my life now, especially where you know I got the four year old in the mix here too, where it's kind of like, all right. So um, I've been delaying other knee surgeries. I know that especially my left knee will have multiple other surgeries on the way here. So I'm just I'm trying to get to uh to sort of a, I guess, a stable point in life before I go under the knife again. So I, I want it to be on my terms. You know, like you hear athletes talk about all the time how they want to retire on their terms. I want my next surgery to be on my terms. Uh, that's something I've rarely had. All the surgeries I've had in the past, most of them weren't exactly on my terms. Most of them were, all right, you 're all jacked up let's let 's go ahead and cut on you so we can try to repair this to some extent, but it wasn 't just let me go in and and sort of you know plan it around my schedule and not have to shut my life down for it or anything else so i've been i 've been delaying for for a number of years here the next uh the next surgeries for my knee, so what i don 't want is to be out on some some mountain or some large hill like like a lot of these midwestern places have for you, and go out there and and tear my knee up and then i I got surgery on uh i guess on on happenstance schedule as opposed to just me being able to plan this thing out, but I appreciate the call from Michael there giving me a little bit of a little bit of intel on the the ski scene, but we were talking some bulls, and you know the the way the game ended last night I, I think it's uh I suppose microcosm is probably a fitting way to describe how things went down because, you know, Memphis was controlling a lot of the game. And this has been, a, I guess, kind of a common refrain here where the the teams with either just a great player in general essentially, but especially last night, you had a great point guard in John Morant and then, you know, one of the better, more imposing bigs in the NBA as well in Steven Adams. So Steven Adams isn't going to light you up. Scoring the ball in the post like Joel Embiid will, but he certainly impacts the game because he he had such a huge night rebounding and it just created all these extra possessions and you know didn't allow the Bulls many extra possessions on their end. So by the end of the night, Stephen Adams has 21 rebounds and you know eight of them on the offensive glass. And as the Bulls made this sort of furious comeback, then they end up finding themselves in a position where where they're not able to limit. Memphis's possessions towards the end because of overall I think by the end of the night it was a 19 to 7 advantage on the offensive glass that the Grizzlies had and the Bulls after DeMar DeRozan on a on a really off shooting night was still able to between Zach Levine keeping them w- within striking distance you know just keeping them within touch of Memphis and then DeMar DeRozan finally does start to heat up in the fourth quarter I love the fact that DeRozan took the challenge on on each end of the court. Not only was he doing what he does and trying to take things over offensively, even though, like, like every shot, it's, it's just so difficult. And a lot of us have talked about, like, man, how do how how long can the Bulls live on every shot being this difficult, contested jumper? But that's just kind of where their bread has been buttered here lately, and they're, they're just operating in that space. And I I think that the the inability to move the ball effectively, to advance the ball as quickly as they would like to, it's really hampered. You know, we, we focus a lot on the fact that Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso are by far their two best on-ball defenders. Well, I shouldn't say by far, because I would assume has really emerged in that role also. But definitely, they're, they're two best defensive players. the two most knowledgeable defensive players. And like Stacey King continued to point out as well, the communication of the Bulls' defense is a huge aspect of how they operate as well. So you don't have those two out there defensively, and it's a huge loss, but – Offensively, I I really think it's underrated what they mean to the Bulls offense because of the way that especially Lonzo Ball advances the ball so quickly to begin to generate some of those open court and and fast break opportunities that have been huge for the Bulls throughout the season here. And even in the half court where Alex Caruso, not only, you know, kind of your quintessential 3 and D kind of guy, he's a a willing shooter from the perimeter, but he he sees things like a point guard. So he can play a variety of positions uh, on or around the wing. But he just sees things through a point guard lens that can set up either the true assist or the hockey assist. And they really, not having them out there, really impacts the Bulls on the offensive end as well. Let's go back to the hotline right now. Who We uh, we got Pink, who's out in Calumet City on a Sunday morning. Pink, what's happening? Hey,
2: hey, hey. Hey, big dog, what's up, man? Good what's up? Hey, so look, I'm watching the Bulls game last night. And I think that, the Bulls folded up when they met a superstar. Hmm. Not an all-star, but a superstar. <laughs> and looking at uh, Jai versus uh, AO, 12 on 12, ponytail up, you know, it was like the mirror image and all that, you know, but <laughs> it wasn't the same. So, Jai doing his thing and all that and taking over a game, I love my Bulls, man, but, like, when they met a superstar, like they got to meet Durant and Kyrie and all them, you know, hey, they ain't have no ass.
3: Yeah, I, all I
2: think but like when Lonzo come back, you know, hey, you know, and but when they met a superstar, hey, they folded. That's all it, I it, is say,
3: a, it is a different deal, Pink. There's no doubt about that. And I appreciate your call, man. 312-644-6767. Anyone else who wants to call in as we were talking about the Chicago Bulls and reaction to that game last night. And the bulk of the game, I think, mirrors exactly what Pink is talking about there, where you did, you had a superstar. Now, I'll say this. You know, John Morant, just a uh, – I mean, if, uh, you almost want to call just call him D-Rose sometimes. You know, he's his own man. But, I mean, there's so much – about his game that looks exactly like that young Derrick Rose. And I mean, you know, D-Rose 2.0, you know, it's been whatever it's been now 15 years or something like that. I mean, def- definitely well over a decade. So he's kind of the the modern version of D-Rose. He's not not as large and physically imposing as like a Russell Westbrook. Like, you know, Westbrook is kind of bigger than both guys, but each, you know, kind of either in an oversized point guard, undersized two-guard, but just so fast, athletic, explosive. You know, neither guy is quite as as formidable physically as Westbrook, but you know, I'd say all three of them have games that kind of mirror each other to some extent. But when you look at the way that, that D. Rose and Ja Morant, both have very similar stature, similar styles of play. But Ja, and I think part of that is just kind of the, the modern game, what the current – NBA sort of you know calls for people to do like you look at last night I think Morant was like three out of four from distance last night you know, like that's that's not what D Rose is doing early in his career it's not what he was tasked with doing not what anyone expected him to do but the the perimeter portion of the game is just it's just different now than it was then and really quickly and early in his career John Morant has been able to you know about he I certainly wouldn't say he's mastered that, but he does, I think, see the game at a really, really high level. and it makes life difficult on the opponents in the way that he does. But to the point that Pink was making about, you know, just the, the notion of, <coughs> excuse me, the notion of a superstar versus just having all stars on the Bulls, you know I like that turn of phrase. I've heard some other folks use it during the season here. But just think about, you know, Trey Young and John Morant. A couple of the opposing guards that the Bulls have seen so far coming out of the All-Star break. And this upcoming schedule, is just, it doesn't get any easier with, with Miami, seeing Atlanta again, you seeing Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Cleveland, Utah. This is, this is a really, really difficult stretch of basketball that the Bulls have on their way. And, and as far as the metrics and statistics and everything else, they've got the most difficult upcoming schedule in the NBA coming down the stretch here of this season. So, you know, some work to do, some things to figure out. Let's hear from Billy Donovan though, because, you know, we were talking about DeMar DeRozan and he had an off shooting night, had a, a quiet game pretty much. I mean, think the first half, he and DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine were six out of 20 in the first half of that game last night. And then, you know, Zach got going in the third and was able to keep them at least within reach. And then DeMar DeRozan, started to get going in the fourth quarter, there were some calls that Billy Donovan Billy Donovan, and, of course, DeMar DeRozan, who ended up getting ejected from the game, really thought should have gone his way. Let's hear from Billy Donovan, specifically on DeMar DeRozan not getting to the line.
1: As great as DeMar has been, as remarkable as he has been, you know, he, he did not have a great shooting night. And I really thought, this is just my personal opinion, I, I, I think in the game, he got fouled really, really quite a bit early, and, 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 and he should have been to the free throw line. From, from I've not watched the film. That's just going from my eyes watching the game on some downhill plays. And, um, you know, who knows what the game's like for him, you know, if he gets four quick free throws, you know, or, or, or some of those plays are called differently. You know, one of the officials said to me that they missed a, one of the calls they missed. You know, that's going to happen. The officials aren't perfect, and the players aren't perfect, neither are the coaches. That's going to happen.
3: And I, I think that's a fair assessment, but I would, I would even enhance that from Billy Donovan by saying that I, it felt to me like last night had some similar notes to what a playoff game would be like. You know, During playoff basketball, you're not going to get all the same amount of calls like you would during a regular season game. And there, there was a lot of physicality. The Bulls weren't the only ones. DeMar DeRozan wasn't the only one complaining about the officials during last night's game. Memphis was as well. You know, Memphis thought they should have been getting on the line quite a bit more. And between the two teams, Memphis is just flat out as far as, you know, by comparison to this current Bulls lineup, Memphis is obviously a much better defensive team night in and night out than what Chicago is. And so that style of game seemed to suit Memphis, where it was was hotly contested. I, I don't think the Bulls were sleepwalking through the initial quarters of the game. I think Memphis was just, even in the midst of, a lot of contact and collisions that the officials were allowing to go, the Grizzlies were able to still find some easier shots. They were able to find some more makeable baskets than the Bulls were. But in the end, if we're looking at this stretch run, as we're getting ready to get into March and approach the playoffs, then this stretch run is going to have, I think, more of a postseason feel too. And Billy Donovan's been talking about that, just where where the Bulls need to sort of find – and extra gear, and specific to last night's game. Uh, Billy Donovan did talk, and let's hear from Coach Donovan, specifically on where within that game last night he feels his team came up short.
1: We fought our way to get back in the game. I thought we had a lot of opportunities to kind of maybe take the lead. We couldn't rebound the ball. That was the first thing that went wrong for us coming down. There's not secure rebounds when we got when – we, when we forced misses. Then I think when, whatever it was, 14 seconds to go in the game, you know, listen, we I, I, I felt really good about putting the ball in DeMar's hands in the middle of the floor. The guy has been so spectacular in those situations you know, the entire time. This was one that just didn't go well. It, it didn't go well. Now, I'm going to go back and look at the film. You know, people feel like he had gotten fouled. You know, some people on our staff that watched the replay, I don't seen it, so I'm not going to speculate one way or the other. Um and then obviously a technical foul, the foul we had to take because it was obviously down three, you know, then it becomes whatever it is, you know, that we're, we're, we're out of the game at that point in time, you know, you, you almost need a, a bomb three point shot and them to throw the ball away and maybe get another quick score. Uh, but I thought that was what happened down the stretch, you know, the last couple minutes of the game, the game is we, we could, we could not, there was no first shot defense for us at all. I don't know how many offensive rebounds they had down the stretch It seemed like there was four straight possessions where we got them to miss and we couldn't come down and secure rebounds. And, you know, Bain made a three. Some other things happened. We fouled them. Uh, um, Those kind of things was really hard. We were always playing catch-up, so to speak. We were trying to get back in the game. So, you know, I give our guys a lot of credit for fighting the way they did to get it within one point. But the offensive rebounds, you know, really, and the fouling, I think, you know, Kind of allowed them to create some separation for us.
3: And I referenced the offensive boards, and that's where you know it's one thing to to talk about not having Lonzo Ball and not having Alex Caruso, and that that does matter on the glass as well. Where you know when you have guys who just have a a higher basketball IQ, a higher degree of awareness on the court, then. You know, they're they're likely getting bodies into people and just making sure. Because not all of the rebounds were just sort of your standard, you know, them off the glass, big man battling big man. Now we go up into the air on the block. Some of those were just sort of like random and odd bounces in a variety of directions. And you just had sometimes smaller bodies able to just chase them down before the Bulls could get there. And then, you know, everyone has that same collective frustration. Like, oh, got to have that. Because they had gotten within reach of things in the fourth quarter sort of furiously fought their way back into it on each end of the end of the court. And like I mentioned with DeMar DeRozan, what I think was key there and, and a great sign for the Bulls that, that he, and I mean, he's been, you know, let's not act like he hadn't been, you know, MVP caliber. And, you know, uh, I'm going to mention kind of a playoff gear here, but the playoff gear that DeMar DeRozan has shown throughout the season has shown up more on the offensive end than it has on defense. But last night, It was, you know, DeMar DeRozan taking on John Morant, you know, trying to try to defend against John Morant. And there was a a point there where the Bulls went on this 14 nothing run in the middle of the fourth quarter. And for some of that stretch for the initial portion of it, John Morant was off the court and they had done so much. And, you know, the the drop defense has been the the two biggest, I, I guess, you know, repetitive talking points of where the Bulls can improve this season. And a lot of it ends up feeling like, you know, like, well, why won't Matt Nagy run the ball? Well, all right, why won't you hit Vooch in the post? You know, just just get Vooch in the post going. And he says it, and it feels like lip service because it doesn't happen as consistently. Last night was a night where you see some some perimeter jumpers from Vooch early in the game, and it doesn't lead to him in his comfort zone in his wheelhouse. And I mean, hey, it's up to Vooch to hit the shots that he has that he's capable of hitting wherever they are. But in the end, we have seen, at least throughout this season, when he's on or near the block, that is when he's at his best. But the matchup last night against Steven Adams obviously doesn't favor him to the same extent like it favors him against some of the some of the other big men around the association. So the Vooch on the block, getting Vooch in the post, just like, you know, how come Matt Nagy won't run the ball? So that's becoming a bit of that. But then also, there's drop defense. And, and when teams go pick and roll, and you have a point guard as effective, as skilled, to our last caller, Pink, you know, a a superstar caliber player like John Morant at the point, then yes, it can make life that much more difficult for the Bulls defense because he puts pressure on you, but he's not. like I made the comparison with he and Russell Westbrook earlier because stylistically there are some similarities there. But I think that for where John Morant is at in his development, I believe he's like 22 right now. But where he's at in his development at this point in his NBA career by comparison to where young Derrick Rose was where – where Russell Westbrook still is at this point in his career his his sort of aptitude for the all-around game is certainly beyond where theirs were at this point in their development because he's not just this sort of you know full-time hard charging sort of Tasmanian devil out there he really has a good sense for for spacing for when to to switch gears on defenders when you know at times where where you can tell like Vooch is sort of you know predicting which side the screen is going to come from. I was talking about communication earlier, and I'm going to get it back to that in a moment, but not having that communication on on the screen and roll where, you know what? It, it can just lead to some some moments where now the defender who's about to be picked, who's about to be screened, feels like they're on an island and they, they feel like they're one on two because they're getting ready to fight over this screen. When they're completely uncertain where it's going to come from. And oh, by the way, I still have to, to try and honor the ball itself and we saw John Morant time and time again as the Bulls were utilizing their drop defense. Then, you know, he was able to find those modes of attack and, and de- determine whether the angle was there for him to penetrate, whether the angle was there for him to hit a mid midranger, whether the angle was there for him to get a defender on his heels and spin back. And just some of the, some of the improvisational wizardry that's there and him reacting at a moment's notice, it, it was really, really a sight to behold. It's pretty cool to, to watch a young basketball player like that who all the potential in the world was there and you're seeing him start to realize that potential. It's unfortunate, you know, that it, that it continued to be realized against the bulls last night, just like it kind of was that first time they faced Memphis as well. But no doubt, no doubt. Like uh, like our caller pink said, that is a superstar on the basketball court. And all those things being said, love the way the bulls fought back in, in the fourth quarter. Let's hear uh, after a timeout, we'll take a break, come back here a little bit more from Billy Donovan. And also, Hear from a couple of the Bulls combatants about what was taking place on the court there, and I mentioned communication, how key that is. I want to get into that as it relates to the Bulls as well. In just a few short minutes, we'll hear from Casey Johnson, who you, you know, hear here on the score plenty. You watch him there on NBC Sports Chicago, when he hosts the Bulls Talk podcast with that guy Jason Goff. A lot on the way with the Bulls in that game last night, and what it means in the big picture of things. I want to talk a little bit of, of macro as it relates to the Bulls. We'll do that next time. I'm Anthony Heron on Twitter and Instagram at Big Aunt Heron. You're listening to Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.
2: He did that in Memphis against the Bulls, and he just went up on a 360, suspended in midair, and laid it in. That was pretty, oh Bill. my
3: goodness. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Now- Ah, just like music, no doubt. Chuck Swirsky, Bill Wennington, speechless as many of us were watching some of the movement of John ja Morant on the basketball court. And that there was there was some similarities between that 360 move he did in, uh, in last night's game uh, with the one he did in Memphis. The one in Memphis was right after him being kind of ticked off, and then he he just decided he was going to float in the air with the greatest of ease uh, moments after being really upset. I don't even remember exactly what got him all upset in that game in memphis i just remember watching that play right after he was really ticked off I was like oh okay so that, that was your response to being upset you're going to be become a, a gymnastics you know sort of acrobat and, and put the ball in the cup in the midst of that taking place last night it was just in the flow of a career-high game for john Morant, 46 points and uh there's no doubt who the best player on the court was for the bulk of that game uh, some texts out there as well. Text zone brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin Safe Time. Shop online at RosenHyundai.com. Text me at 312-644-6767. Unsurprisingly, a bit of anti-vooch sentiment on the text line. And uh I'll say this, and I see the text there from the seven seven nine and the seven seven three. Um so with Vooch, here's here's my thing right now, because we're we're a couple of games into the the Tristan Thompson acquisition and what ended up playing out throughout the game last night was, you know, especially in the fourth quarter when the bulls went on a run. Now again, part of that run, the the run began when John Morant wasn't on the court, but there was that 14, nothing bulls run that they went on. And part of that as well was with Vooch off the court. And the reason that Tristan Thompson was acquired was because they, they needed, not only did you need another competent big man, but you needed someone who could come in and actually defend at a higher level than what you tend to get from Vooch on the court. And, I mean, nigga Voochovich Vuce, is is what he is. I mean, He's, he's not going to suddenly become you know, an all-star caliber defender, but Vooch is a guy who's having, you know, by Vooch standards, one of the better defensive seasons of his career. I was talking to Adam Amin about it when I was on the other night. I mean, you know, statistically for him, he's like got his – you know, career high average in blocks, he is putting the effort in. He's just not a great defender. That being said, I believe Billy Donovan will need to continue to figure out how you how you balance the the addition of Tristan Thompson in the lineup. Because in last night's game where you know the Bulls have been one of the better defensive teams in the NBA when they've been at full strength, but They've been at full strength for, for such a limited time this season. That, that only matters so much. What matters is obviously the the lineup that you have available to you right now. And for the moment, they are not in a position where they can throw Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso at a bunch of folks. And then when Io DeSumo, who hasn't necessarily looked like the pre-All-Star Io yet through a couple of games here, then... He went with Kobe White to add some additional offense in a game where it it was going to start becoming a score fest, and they they needed some points out there. Kobe White certainly gave them some of that, and he did balance getting Vooch out of the lineup with getting Tristan Thompson in the lineup as well. But you can't just play Tristan Thompson nonstop. I mean, the guy's only been here a couple of games. He's in shape. He's been on an NBA roster, and I I think part of this will be just Billy Donovan getting a getting a better sense for, for which situations Tristan Thompson will make the most sense in, while at the same time, he's going to have to depend on all these people. He's gonna have to continue to find ways to depend on Vooch. Vuce. And Vooch's offense, of course, ends up making a difference. We have seen Nikola Vucevic hit huge shots for the Bulls in the fourth quarters of games this season so yes he was he ended up being a defensive liability as we've seen at times this season and there was a definitive difference between the the Bulls defense when Tristan Thompson was on the court versus when Nikola Vucevic was on the court but there will always be a difference in the Bulls offense when those individuals are out there as well so what I would prefer to see is especially in the fourth quarter of a game when if it's going to be the the DeMar DeRozan show part of the things that, that Vooch can do is he can pull defenders away from the basket and allow some of these one-on-one opportunities for DeMar DeRozan. They can sink in and sag in when Tristan Thompson is on, on the court in a different way than they can when when Vooch is on the court. So I believe that's a part of what factors in there as well. Even in a game where Vooch is struggling to help on the, on the pick and roll and in the, the Bulls drop defense and you know Vooch didn't have a great offensive night either, all those things being said, Vooch can positively impact the Bulls' offense in a way that ended up being really important in last night's game as well. So I don't, I don't think that can or should be ignored. While at the same time, there's no doubt Tristan Thompson's a better defender than Nikola Vucevic. That's what their careers told us even before they acquired Tristan Thompson. So it shouldn't be any any surprise, any shock. There's just going to be a balance for Billy Donovan of trying to figure out which situation is most effective to to sort of ebb and flow the lineup with the two of them in and out, especially on a night where, from a scoring perspective, you're not getting as much out of Vooch as one might like. Let's hear, though, from Zach Levine. Zach Levine is, you know, we're all just sort of experiencing this, this knee situation alongside Zach Levine, watching how it plays out. He had a really nice offensive night, started to attack the glass and get to the basket in a really effective way that they made a, a big difference. It paid big dividends for the Bulls and Zach Levine being able to do that what he did yesterday but then in the end a lot of the game felt like it was about defense you know I, like I mentioned earlier I didn't think DeMar DeRozan got fouled on that late shot so you know whether or not it came down to that I think in the end you saw that you know not just Kyle Anderson who was defending him on that last one before uh, DeRozan ended up getting ejected from the game where he thought he got fouled and we heard from Billy Donovan a moment ago saying that he's not sure if uh if he thought DeMar DeRozan got fouled uh, in my opinion, that means Billy Donovan didn't think DeMar DeRozan got fouled, because if he did, he'd have went off on the ref, and if he did, he wouldn't need to to watch the film to admit that. Uh, so I think Billy Donovan, in the end, just saw a really good defensive team close in on DeMar DeRozan in a situation we've seen him come up huge time and time again this season. But the Bulls' defense, like I mentioned, John Morant, career night from Memphis last night, and... I mentioned uh, Demar Derozan being willing to take on that defensive assignment against Morant. Zach Levine was over there going toe to toe with Ja Morant, trying to defend him at times last night as well. Let's hear from Zach Levine on what they could have done to stop Ja Morant. You can try to get the ball out of his hands,
2: maybe a little bit earlier. But you know, I still just think you know, for us, we just have to do a job coming out of the gate with the right test of detail. Um, I feel like if we played the game, you know, more physical, um, offensively and defensively you know, we could have had a a, a totally different uh, outcome.
3: That's Zach Levine just talking about the Bulls' defense against uh, John Morant specifically, and he didn't necessarily even address John Morant as much in that moment as much as he did just the Bulls' defense at large. Those details, they end up being huge, and uh, they, they showed up a lot. I want to talk to Casey Johnson about those details of the Bulls' defense. Really, the details at each end of the floor, and of course what the Bulls don't have will continue to be a part of that equation. But they're not going to have it any in the weeks to come. So, how do they continue to work around it? That uh, that in and out between Vooch and Tristan Thompson. What does Casey, Casey Johnson think about that? And what does Billy Donovan said in addressing that? We'll talk about all that with the Bulls man himself, Casey Johnson. We'll do that next here on Chicago Sports Radio, six seventy The Score. You could spend the weekend
0: doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe.